Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Chemical Conversations podcast for Argus Recycled Polymers, brought to you by Argus Media. I'm Will Collins, the global editor of Argus Recycled Polymers, and I'm joined by Lars Rosenloff, Chief Executive Officer of chemical recycling firm Quantifuel. In 2020, Quantifuel commissioned a 20,000 tonne a year pyrolysis unit in Skiva, Denmark, that processes mixed polyolefin waste into oils that can then be reused in the petrochemical industry. The unit was one of the first of its kind in the world, and Quantifuel is building on its experiences at the unit to refine its processes, as well as planning new capacities with projects underway elsewhere in Scandinavia, in the Middle East and in the UK. Pyrolysis-based chemical recycling is a hot topic in the polymer industry. To some, it's the holy grail solution to recycling complicated plastics, while increasing supply of high-quality recyclers to the packaging industry, and a large number of technology providers are striving to establish themselves in the market. But actual operating capacities remain low, and scaling up the industry will require significant further investment, as well as innovation in the technology itself and in the supply chain around it. Lars joins us to give some insight into the challenges that the industry faces, particularly in the environment of worsening economic sentiment and rising energy costs, to talk regulation and to describe how Quantifuel has dealt with the bumps in the road that it's encountered along its journey so far. So Lars, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Will. Pleasure to be here. So firstly, in your third quarter results update that you published earlier this month, you signalled that the Skiva plant is expected to be generating positive cash flow for the first time by the end of this year. Do you see this as something of a watershed moment for the pyrolysis-based recycling industry in the sense that we're now beginning to move into the the long-awaited commercial phase of its development? We are definitely moving into the commercial phase of of the development with the Skiva plant. Uh, You can say what we updated the market on uh, in this quarter is of course that the environment have changed a lot since we started. Uh, the war in Ukraine and energy crisis are you can say adding to a more complex picture around the cost situation overall. But what is important is of course to crank up volumes in in, in our commercial uh, sized uh, facility in Skive and that have been not so easy as expected uh, and it's I think it's just part of a journey uh, from a startup company uh, where you're doing very low lab scale tests and run small reactors and and then suddenly you try to crank it up to you can say commercial size volumes uh, which I think we have actually managed pretty well even though it have taken us longer than expected. Yeah, I mean, if if you don't mind me quoting you directly from the results call that you gave earlier this month, you said, I think it's fair to say that we've rebuilt Skiva many times, uh, and it has been a process of trial and error to some extent, but we've learned a lot. Um, so, of course, this has led to you developing the, the second generation Mark II process that is planned for use in, in future Quantifuel developments. Do you mind if I ask, what are some of the challenges that you faced and and when you were starting up the plant and how do you go about overcoming those? I think we're one of the only producers that have a continuous process. Uh, so it seems overall it's much easier to have a batch uh, process running than a continuous process that we are doing. But we also get, you can say, uh, confirmation from big uh, companies in the oil and, and petrochemical fields that uh, the only way uh, to really industrialize this will be on a continuous basis. So we are getting a lot of positive confirmation on that. 
but it might also be the reason why it have taken us longer to get, uh, you can say, production levels uh, where we want it. Uh, I started a year ago in the company, and at that time they have just, you can say, modified the plant uh, since they were commissioned in 2020. Uh, because at that time it was really hard to get significant volumes out. Uh, but after the modification we did last year, uh, I will say we have moved uh, surely, uh, slowly but surely forward uh, and solved, you can say, many of the issues by uh, uh, understanding root causes, being very systematic on what, what do we see, the data gathering, and, and try to find, you can say, smart ways of, of moving around it. Uh, to the equation, I think we need to say that the Skiva plan were built by a very, very small organization. I think we were 15, 17 people in the organization at that point in time. And I come with, you can say, process industry or refining background. Uh, and, and the way we have designed and built Skiva is, is, is not really from a, you can say, an operating point of view of 24-7 of operations. Uh, it is, you can say, some common equipment at the front end and some common equipment at the back end. And in between, we have four reactor lines uh, consist of, uh, I will say, single equipments, which means that one failure in, uh, in one of the equipments will more or less take down either 25% of the capacity of the whole plant. And that is not really the way you design for 24-7 operations, which, which is, you can say, the benefit of having a continuous process. Uh, these learnings we have, of course, dealt with in, in the Mark II that we are about to announce uh, going forward, uh, because uptime on these operating plants is, is key uh, for, you can say, both for, for cash generation uh, uh, and for production, of course. And um, uh, forgive me if this is uh, not a, uh, a the question that a chemical engineer would ask, but uh, I'm not a chemical engineer. What what's the um, main advantages of the the continuous process over the batch process that is being highlighted by your stakeholders in the industry? Um, you can say batch process is a reactor. You open, you fill it, you heat it up, and uh, you get some oil out, and then you clean it. Uh, or lower the temperature, you clean it and you fill it up again and so on and so forth. On a continuous process, you heat it up and you continue to run it uh, for a long period of time. So these uh, temperature uh, profiles where you have to heat it up and uh, take the temperature down, you avoid that. Uh, so over time, that, that sh the continuous uh, process should be a much uh, better process from an uh, energy uh, consumption point of view. Okay. And I would imagine that with a, a continuous process, then that leads to the need for continuous feedstock and the availability of difficult to recycle polyolefin feedstock for the pyrolysis industry and also the need for a supply chain to actually bring the feedstock to the pyrolysis plants for processing. Those are regularly held up as, as potential bottlenecks for the chemical recycling industry that needs to be overcome. You noted yourselves in the third quarter results uh, feedstock issues at the Christiansen uh, plant that you operate that actually restricted um, the operating rate during the third quarter. Um, do you expect obtaining the feedstock for, to be a challenge for the industry as a whole as capacity ramps up in, in Europe and elsewhere? And what can be done to mitigate that? I think we have to segregate, you could say, the Christianson issues with the Skiva issues. In Christianson, we have a sorting plant and a, a mechanical recycling plant. 
location-wise, uh, it's it's uh, a tricky logistics around being placed in the middle of of Norway, uh, and that plan we have there for mechanical recycling also has some limitations to what kind of feedstock we can handle, uh, which makes it you can say harder. And and then if you put uh, you can say the energy crisis and the war in Ukraine on top of that, uh, we see that everything that can be burnt have you can say in this period being being burned for energy production in, instead of for recycling. Uh, but we believe that that is a tendency that will, you can say, disappear again or normalize again. Uh, we maybe have to get to the other side of the window, but uh, overall that will that will definitely normalize. Uh, for the Skiva plant, I think the issues we have with feedstock for Skiva is uh, that, uh, you can say, we, we are talking low volumes. Uh, we have talked a uh, period with, I would say, disruptive uh, infeed. And when you're trying to set up, you can say, contracts with these uh, waste handlers, uh, they need, uh, you can say, firm volumes over time. Uh, and that is a problem in, in an early phase. Uh, going forward, we are targeting, you can say, bigger facilities, and we are targeting setting this up uh, uh, in a better way from the beginning. Uh, but for Skiva, where we are doing a lot of trial and error things, uh, it has uh, made it slightly harder to get this uh, moving in the right direction. But I think uh, in, in the long term, uh, there should be more than enough uh, plastic waste available for, for these facilities. Yeah, well, I, I suppose one of the issues could be the the typical sorting facilities will uh, sort out the waste that can be mechanically recycled and therefore has value to them and can be sold and then the uh, well, in Germ Germany has a perfect word for it rest mall the you know the the other bits and pieces that typically go to incineration or landfill will be sorted on a very limited to a very limited extent because there's there's not currently a commercial incentive really for sorting firms to do that so do you see that the there's a stream of of this rest mall um that is of a quality you know contains enough polyolefins that it will be suitable for the pyrolysis industry or do you think there's still work to be done in order to kind of build up more of a secondary sorting phase in europe that um the pyrolysis plants can can feed off uh, from a feedstock perspective i think first of all uh, you can say the waste handlers and and people sitting on on these waste streams should see that the uh, chemical recycling is is a contribution uh, to increased overall recycling rates. Uh, it's not a competition; uh, it's actually an addition. And uh, we would like to position like that. We are not here to take, you can say, plastic uh, waste that can be handled mechanically, uh, but you can only mechanically re recycle uh, for so many times uh, before you actually need to restart that process. And there we can come into play as well. Uh, so we would like to team up with these people and, and, and try to uh, add more recycling overall uh, to the game. And we also find that necessary in order to meet you can say targets set by regulators and and, and eu uh, so that is the first comment uh, and for sure uh, on sorting we need to find you can say the right way to sort it out uh, but for incinerators uh, in the long run that should also uh, benefit i think them because we are by taking out that specific uh, plastic waste uh, from RDF or whatever they feed their plants, 
uh, should lower uh, to some extent uh, the heat input, meaning that they can run higher, you can say, tonnage through their systems, which is normally how they are getting paid. And in some countries, we are seeing CO2 uh, taxation on, on incineration as well. So by taking out the plastic from these streams, they should lower their CO2 tax. So I think you can say at a higher level, there are some synergies here that should be played out. Uh, but what needs to happen is, of course, for chemical recycling to showcase that it's something you need to take serious. And then we need to crank up the volume. And if you play that back to our off-takers being uh, petrochemical plants or refineries uh, producing petrochemical feedstock, uh, they need high volume. So, so this is indeed a volume game, and that's why we need to take an industrial approach to this. Uh, and I think we are in the early phase of, of uh, showcasing this to the world, and uh, we are probably one of the front runners, uh, as I said. Of course, and, and talking on, a, on in terms of the volume game, um, how long do you think it is, in your opinion, until the chemical recycling industry can reach a, a commercial scale whereby significant volumes of plastics based on pyrolysis oil um, are available and also it can make a meaningful dent in the global plastic waste problem? <laughs> it's a good question, right? It's, uh, it's definitely capital intensive, what we would like to do. Um, so we need more or we need many plants. Uh, the way we have set it up is, of course, we have teamed up uh, Saipem being one of the largest EBC contractors, and they have also agreed to market our uh, technology uh, so we can get it out there to a broader market that we cannot serve uh, with our uh, capital uh, position ourselves. Uh, but I think it's, it's about increasing the amount of plants going forward. Uh, Honestly, uh, I think that that ramp up phase for the industry will probably take the next 10 years, 15 years, maybe. But there are room for many, many plants in Europe and abroad. And you, you mentioned capital intensivity. Um, of course, in the current economic environment um, and current petrochemical margin environment as well um it, it is likely that um that there could be some tightening of purse strings and and the budget available for investment in this sort of technology could be um narrow do you see that as a, a potential to to slow down the development at all in the coming years um and you've you've touched several times on the high energy cost environment as well uh, how does that sort of impacts the, the prospects for the development of the, the pyrolysis industry and what can, again, pyrolysis companies do to, um, uh, to, to mitigate that? I think the economics in these plants are actually pretty solid. Uh, also in comparison with other, uh, you can say, investments uh, or industrial investments. Uh, so I think we will prove that pretty soon. The energy question you're bringing up, uh, I'm not sure it will impact, you can say, the economics, uh, you can say, that much. We have announced that in, in our uh, two quarterly results. Uh, but the main reason for that were that we had, you can say, in the Skiva plant, we had an, uh, a, a plan to convert our heating from uh, using natural gas to using uh, non-condensable gas or produced gas in the process. That is how you normally run refineries as well, right? You're heating up the crude oil, you're getting some gas, you're burning that to heat up the process when it started. And, and that's the same concept we are using in our plant. 
and facing that into the uh, concept in Skive, uh, the plan were to do that in third or late second quarter. And if the test was successful, with, which it was, then convert uh, all lines into our produced gas by end of third quarter. And, and we did that. What we haven't encountered were actually that the natural gas prices were increasing by 500% over that period. And of course, and that, that cost us quite a lot. Uh, we have used, uh, you can say the numbers that we are using something between uh, 800 to 1.4 million Norwegian crowners per line uh, on natural gas. So taking that out of the equation is actually significantly impacting our result. Uh, and, and that's where we are right now. We say the, the past weeks we have run on more or less 100% produced gas, and that makes it uh, much, much better. Okay, very interesting. And and from um, on, it's so staying with the economic side, um, up to this point, uh, demand for pyrolysis-based polyolefins has not been seen as any sort of a bottleneck for the industry. Um, when you consider that there's such a clamour for recycled plastics that can perform as well as virgin material, but again, for even for the the major FMCG companies and and um, uh, packaging firms and so on, uh, budgets are likely to tighten if we head into a a weaker economic environment. Um, and do you expect that uh, this could have any negative impact on the demand for the eventual pyrolysis-based plastics um, in the in the near term? It's at least not what we see. I would say we are being approached by many of the big companies uh, and they're actually screaming for volume. Uh, and we have also seen a shift, I will say. Uh, I think the idea when we started the company were that this were about having you can say high quality uh, synthetic oil uh, servings to the market. What we see now is that uh, quality is not as important, but volume is very important. And I think uh, maybe driven by a delay in our business, uh, delivering these recycled oils to the market, uh, but also seen by that, uh, you can say retailers, uh, consumers, and the regulators are pushing harder for uh, circularity and, and, and using the waste as a resource. I know they're focusing a lot on, on energy transition, but this is also part of it. Uh, and I think in a modern society, we need to, to recognize that there's a lot of opportunities in, in handling the resources we have in play already. Uh, so I cannot see how that should change. Uh, but what will change is probably uh, the quality issue is probably less of an, uh, a challenge for chemical recyclers in the in in the early phase of the development because the petrochemical facilities and refiners will protect themselves by building what they need in order to be able to serve uh, their needs from different sources and the best way to do that will be to handle the quality issue themselves in one big location instead of us having a lot of small investments in upgrading quality uh, to their needs. So, so you will produce the, uh, I'm going to use inverted commas here, dirty pyrolysis oil, unrefined pyrolysis oil that will then go to a refiner to be made into the synthetic cracker feedstock that is needed for the petrochemical industry. No, not necessarily, uh, because uh, some of our serving can uh, definitely be directly fed to a petrochemical plant for plastic production. 
uh, but we are discussing a way to set it up so we are securing that most of our oil is used for for chemical recycling or for plastic production uh, because that's what we are aiming for right uh, recycling is not uh, creating fuel. So so we have to get as much as we can back to uh, plastic productions, I think. And, and we are internally discussing also with refiners, how can we set this up in a way, uh, making sure that less is going to fuel and most of it is going to petrochemical feedstock, either directly from us or via refinery. Okay. And um, final question, um, your European Environment Commissioner for a day, um, what would you like to change or um, enact from a legislative point of view to help to create a more conducive environment to developing uh, or the development of chemical recycling? Oh, yeah. We have touched one point already, right, being the taxation on CO2 in, in uh, incineration uh, can be one way to at least try to push some of the plastic waste out of the incinerator's uh, feedstock and, and uh, use that for recycling. Uh, I think what will happen here, as I said, I have many years in refining and, and we have been through is it two decades with uh, biofuels being being the answer to a lot of things. Uh, and I think we need to see a similar attitude towards chemical recycling than we see with or have seen with biofuels in EU regulations, where it's all about transparency and uh, traceability. Uh, so I think we need to see that here as well. Uh, we need to provide proof uh, that we are living up to high environmental standards. And Quantifuel, by the way, is certified uh, according to IASCC Plus and uh, Red Cert 2. Uh, and I think we are front runners because we can uh, deliver these certificates uh, of origination. So we, you can say bridge from what are the waste sources and, and you can uh, track that all the way uh, to the oil and of course eventually to the plastic produced after that. So I think that is one major thing we need to push for. And then of course uh, you can say from regulation point of view we, we, we like stability in, in, in the framework. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then of course I think we need to lower the guards if we are sitting in mechanical recycling and say this is actually an add-on that should serve all of us uh, and, and also the globe in, in a way where we are recycling uh, more material if we are doing a combination of mechanical and chemical recycling. Okay, thanks. That that would be a busy first day for you as the uh, as the Commissioner for the Environment, for sure. And um, <laughs> plenty to think on elsewhere as well. Thanks very much for that. Um, clearly plenty of work still to be done to drive the industry forward, but um, it sounds as though as we are continuing along the right path and you can track developments in the market uh, in the Argus Recycle Polymers report where we publish news and analysis about chemical recycling and keep track on capacities in development in our chemical recycling tracker. So for now it just leaves me to thank Lars very much for joining us. Thank you. And thanks very much to you for listening. I hope that you found it useful and insightful. Uh, please head to argusmedia.com if you'd like to find out more about our chemicals coverage and don't hesitate to contact me at will.collins at argusmedia.com if you have any questions. Mm -hmm.